Amen. Hey, before we get into the message today, I wanted to let you know a couple of updates. Um, first off, our lead pastor, Ed Griffinhagen, is uh, doing well, and he's been in quarantine, and that ends tomorrow. He's a free man tomorrow. We're excited for Ed, and we're actually most excited, most grateful that he's well, and he's doing fine. So uh, just want to let you know that, and he'll be back here on the, on the, on the platform next Sunday, bringing the word to us as, as he always does. Um, also, I wanted to take a quick moment and give you guys a, uh, a report from, from my life and the life of my family. Many of you have been aware that in the past week, uh, my wife Rhonda, Rhonda's daughter, Kendall, uh, lost her baby uh, that at, at just over eight months pregnant. So we were devastated by this news. We talked a lot about that last week here during our service. Uh, and the Lord has been gracious and great. we're grateful for that. So we want to say thank you all for all your support. And y'all have been just, y'all have rallied around us, as has Kendall and Thomas's church family just around the corner at uh, Solid Rock Church. But we have definitely felt the love and the support and all the prayers. So we, we had our funeral service on Friday, and it was obviously a, a really sad time. But God's grace and his comfort was there. And thank you to all of you who attended and all of you who I know wanted to attend but weren't able. Uh, we just want to, from our hearts, say thank you because we felt God's hand through you guys. Also wanted to share that on Friday, also the Friday morning was the funeral for uh, little baby Jack, uh, Jack Thomas. And... Um, but also on Friday, a little bit later in the day, I was, I was able to talk to my son, Derek. And many of you are aware he's been battling acute myeloid leukemia for uh, almost nine months now. And he's responded real well to the treatment and the stem cell transplant that his brother, his younger brother, provided the stem cells for him. So that was really awesome. He's responded real well. They have a, a phrase they coined uh, that they're trying to achieve bone glow. All right, so Bryce is helping Derek achieve bone glow, uh, which is, I just think, hilarious. But um, so it's been a journey, and we found out Friday afternoon. And I'm wearing my Derek Strong shirt. Actually, uh, yes, sir, Jesse up here uh, playing bass today, supporting Derek Strong as well. We found out Friday afternoon that Derek is officially and documented as in remission. Isn't that great? Man, we are thrilled, and he looks good, and he feels good, and he has achieved bone glow. So Derek Strong, hashtag bone glow. So we're really uh, grateful for that, and it was a very uh, interesting day on Friday for our family to, to mourn the loss of baby Jack, to celebrate Derek's remission, and we just, uh, you know, we don't understand everything. But we just say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So today, we're going to continue our series of teaching through the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament section of Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in the book of Acts, it's actually the Acts of the Apostles, the followers of Jesus uh, and it's a phenomenal telling of the story of the early days of the church. And like we like to say, it's truly, really, it's the, uh, the more appropriate title would be that it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Um, but be that as it may, we're looking through the book of Acts. And as you might be aware, if you've missed any of these, it's all good. We encourage you to go back and check those, check out the, the sermons preceding this because it's been a fascinating journey. Ed took a several weeks to take us through a large chunk of the second chapter of the book of Acts. And, and, and we spent a lot of time on this event that happened on the day of Pentecost, which was this massive traditional Jewish celebration took, taking place in Jerusalem. 
And as Jesus had instructed his disciples when he ascended into heaven, he said, wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And then it's all going to be on. And so they said, okay, well, we'll wait. And so they waited. When the day of Pentecost came and the, and the, the population of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem had ballooned and expanded because so, Jews from all over Israel and really all over the world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So there were tens of thousands of people packed into Jerusalem. And as Jesus' disciples were praying, there was about 120 of them, the 12 disciples and all the others who were followers of Jesus, 120 of them in this uh, room they had rented, uh, upstairs room, second or third floor, and the Holy Spirit showed up, got poured out on them, and it was, it went wild, man. It sounded like a rushing wind. There were little balls of fire that appeared and rested right above them. And they all started speaking in different tongues, different languages. Yikes, what was that all about? I really encourage you, go back and listen to these sermons. It's awesome. But one of the things that happened after this massive experience that those 120 people had with the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit shows up, comes upon them. They're baptized just, or, or they're just surrounded and engulfed in, in the Holy Spirit itself, himself. And they go out into the streets, into the packed streets of Jerusalem, and they start sharing the gospel. And they were speaking in these other languages that they didn't even know how to speak. So that all the people that were visiting the city from all over the world, who had not grown up in Jerusalem, but they were Jewish people and they were in there and their native tongue was some other language. And by this miracle of God, these 120 people were speaking in all these different languages so that the people heard the story of Jesus in all those different languages. Whoa. But then the most important thing that happened on that day is that Peter Everybody knows Simon Peter, St. Peter, we call him. And he stands up and he does an open air sermon to everybody who can hear the sound of his voice. And he preaches a sermon in Acts chapter two that is just mind blowing. And it is really a masterclass in how to present the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, how Jesus was prophesied like the Old Testament scriptures promised Jesus would come. And when he came, he did all the stuff the Old Testament promised he would do. And then he was crucified the way the Old Testament said he would be. And he rose from the dead. Not just pretend, not just imagine, not just the spirit, not just a hologram, but his body rose from the dead. That's good news, isn't it? So Peter's hollering this out and he's preaching it. And he tells the story and he says, because all this happened, that's what's going on with these 120 people that you're looking at going, what is the deal? What is up with them? And Peter said, this is what's up with them. This Jesus who you crucified is now the Lord of all and he's poured out his Holy Spirit. And today's the day where you should turn from your sin. You should return to God. You should be forgiven. You should receive the, the Holy Spirit and you should be baptized. That's what you ought to do because as Peter Priest had said, the people, their hearts were just smitten. They were just like, oh my gosh, I want to do something in response to what I just heard. And he told them, that's what you do. You turn from your sin, you turn back, you come back to God. You get forgiven of your sins. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, get baptized. And you're going to be saved from the wickedness of this generation and the sin of this world. Boom. And do you know what happened? Now, we're, I want you, normally we have the, the verses on the screen, but I forgot to put verse 41 on the screen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. So I'm going to read it to you. It won't be on the screen. My apologies. My fault. Nobody else's. Verse 41 says, so, and that's after Peter did this thing, told that beautiful story, powerful thing. Everybody's like, what should we do? We're so moved by this, we want to respond. And he tells them how to respond. And verse 41 says, So those who accepted what he said were immersed. They, they, they got baptized. 
And they were, and th there were added to the group that day about 3,000 people. So he preached a sermon that God used to turn the hearts of 3,000 people to become followers of Christ. So now there were 3,120 followers of Christ. The church went from 120 to 3K plus, just like that. That's a good day, right? Wow. It says those who accepted what he said. Quick note, most powerful sermon on the gospel that had ever been preached. A miracle going on with the languages and everybody hearing the gospel preached in actual different nationalities, languages. That kind of miracle. Guess what? Not everybody who heard responded. Just wanted to mention that. It's important to note that because there were some who accepted and some who said, nah, I don't think so. You ever been in that situation where you go, how could, how is it possible not to believe? How is it possible for someone not to, to believe? Well, I don't know how it's possible. It just is. Because there was a whole lot more than 3,000 people that heard what Peter said. And some of them said, nope, not going to take it. But those who did, boom, instantly became believers and followers of Christ. And they got baptized. Now, I don't know how they baptized 3,000 people in water. It'll be something important and fun to ask when we get to heaven and we can talk to those who were there. And say, what were the logistics of that bad boy? I mean, see, we do baptism right there. See this thing right over here in the corner? It's a, uh, swing the camera around, okay. But it's just this one person little baptismal thing. And uh, times 3,000, I mean, who knows? 3,000 people got baptized. Being baptized is an important thing. It's a big deal. It, it is a big deal, and we do it all the time. We actually think in the next couple of weeks we have someone getting baptized, and then many more that are going to be baptized in the fall. And, the, and, the, and the, what we believe is, is that or, or our understanding of Scripture is you believe in the gospel of Jesus, you do what Peter said, which is turn from your sin, come to God, receive forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit is yours, just like that, and get dunked in water. Sounds odd. Why, why is the getting dunked in water important? Well, the way we like to say it is, it's an outward expression of an inward reality, something that happened in my heart, and I'm going to do something that is totally 100% recognizable, and it can be interpreted no other way then I believe differently than I used to. When you are a dry person and you get dunked in water and come out of the water, something's changed. That's just the way it is. And this is a way of us saying to the world, figuratively speaking, to everyone who sees physically and everyone for the rest of our lives who we tell our story to. And we say, on... August 15th of 2021, I got baptized. And that is our way of saying something changed in me. And so I did that. That's a big deal. So that's, that's what, that is the result of, of, of what Peter did. The sermon he preached resulted in 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ. The Bible term for that is getting saved. 3,000 people getting saved getting baptized and becoming a part of the family of God and that, and, and the church of Jesus Christ. That's a good day. That's a big deal. And I want to uh, paraphrase something that Ed told us a few weeks ago when he was talking about Peter's sermon. And this is the point. If believers would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like Peter did. He came to the earth. He sacrificed himself on the cross to purchase forgiveness for our sins. He died and rose again. 
and he has given us the Holy Spirit, if we tell that story, people will come to faith in Christ. If believers will preach the gospel on Sunday mornings, on platforms and pulpits all over the country and the world, in our everyday lives and in every conversation where we get the opportunity to speak the words, when we live our lives as devoted followers of him, if believers would preach the gospel, people will come. To, if you preach it, they will come. Thank you. So that's the beauty of, ver of one verse in Acts chapter 2. Now we're going to spend the rest of our conversation this morning talking about what the early days, and when I, li I literally mean the early weeks, days and weeks of, of the first church, those people that got saved and those out of those 3,000, however many stayed in town, however many weren't there for just for a day or so, what it looked like, what did a church look like in the very first weeks of organized, Christ-following, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-led Christianity? So verses 42 through 47 show us that. And we're just going to go through them kind of quickly, but we're going to just pick out the things that are mentioned in those verses so that we could see, wow, that's how it all started. You know, it would be great if we in 2021 as believers in Christ could experience these things in our expression of the local church. So that's, hope, that's our hope. That's our hope that we'll hear things that as a group and as families and as individuals, we go, wow, I want that to happen in my life. I want that stuff to go on. So I've, we've titled the sermon, the message, the conversation, this is how we do it. And I'll give you a moment to let that song play in your head. <laughs> and I apologize. This is how we do it. All right, so let's look at these verses. We're just going to go one at a time. We're going to start with verse 42. It said, they, these believers, these people that got saved, they continued faithfully in the teaching of the emissaries, the apostles, and in breaking bread, I'm sorry, in fellowship, in breaking bread, and in the prayers. They were, they continued faithfully. In other words, they were devoted to. Now, if you have one of the uh, handouts to take notes, and if you do take notes, you will be my favorites because it makes me feel like, you know, important and loved. <laughs> Kidding. But if you're taking notes, then you can say, you could, the, the fill in the blank starts now. So it's, it's we're devoted to, and it says this will be on the screen. The believers were, and hopefully we will be, living lives of devotion to biblical teaching is the first thing. Biblical teaching. It says that the, those first believers were devoted or faithfully continued following the apostles or the emissaries is the way our, that version reads it, the teaching of the apostles. What was the teaching of the apostles? Hey, we don't have it outlined word for word, line for line, but here's what we do know. It was more than likely a deep dive into the overall thing that Peter preached that day, the gospel message of Jesus, that he came that he sacrificed himself, that he died for us, that he rose from the dead, that the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And the teaching of the apostles, oh, well, here's what also we know. It also helped all those people who had came to faith. It helped them connect the dots between the Old Testament prophets and the writings of Moses to what happened through Jesus' story, through the gospel. So that was super important. That's the disciple, the apostles' teaching. Is, is how the Old Testament stuff is, has been fulfilled through the story of Jesus. So it's, the, it's, it, it's a deep dive into that, the, the story of... So here's, here's an application for us in 2021. I believe we should, as believers, individually, and then among our family unit, and among our church connections, whether this is your church expression, church on the trail in Columbus, Georgia, or maybe you are 
a part of another local church, whatever the case may be, is to strategically insert the scriptures into your life and into your conversations and your relationships. I know that's kind of sounds oversimplified, but we should strategically insert the scriptures into our lives. It, that, that phrase, strategically inserting something into our lives or imposing something onto our lives, it reminds me of a, this is a very live phrase in my life. It's super descriptive for me because as if, if you know my story, I, I back in 2010, I went through a, a, a painful divorce and I was separated from my, my children just geographically. We still were in connection and communication and visiting all the time. But I was living in Alabama. My kids were living in Virginia. It was just a very difficult time for us. And I had just, I mean, that, that had literally started about a week after that happened. A week after the signing of the papers and me moving to, to Birmingham. I was, I was sitting in my, standing in my pastor's kitchen and he was talking to me about what, what I was going through. And he said, man, how are you gonna do this thing with your kids? How are you gonna make this work? How are you going to stay involved? And I said, my kids were in high school, middle school and upper elementary at the time. And I said to him, I don't know. I didn't have a plan. It's the bottom line. Now, he wasn't mad at me for not having a plan, but he looked at me, and he's a very intense guy, right? And he looked at me, and he said, Richard, you have to strategically insert yourself into your children's life. And I'll never, from that instant, I realized I've got to have a plan, and this is what I'm going to do. And I wore out the interstate from Birmingham to Lynchburg. And I, I used technology as what it was in 2010. And I was imposing myself into my children's lives to the point where they were probably, could you relax a little bit, Dad? But here's my point. That was a game-changing decision on my part. And it was a critical decision. It was the best advice I got at that, in that season of my life. And so with that in, in mind, with that sort of thing in mind, and with stuff that's just as important at stake in your lives, hear me say to you, strategically impose the scriptures into your life. If I were to ask you, What's this week going to be like for you as it relates to the Word of God, the Bible? If we're honest, most of us will say, well, you know, I don't know. We'll see. And I'm telling you, we'll see does not cut it. Because we'll see turns into, wow, that was a crazy week. Where did the last six days go? Am I right? That's how life works. Decide now where the scriptures are going to be in your life in the next seven days. Decide today. You feel me? Devoted to biblical teaching. Next thing we're devoted to is community. Are these guys were devoted to community? It says that they, were they continued faithfully in fellowship and in breaking bread. They were devoted to community. They stayed connected with each other and they shared meals together. When it says breaking bread, it included, but not limited to, taking communion and observing what we call the Lord's Supper. Well, some high church uh, denominations called the Eucharist. It is, it, 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 they would literally do the reenactment of the Last Supper where Jesus said, this is my bread. Uh, I'm sorry, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood. And they would reenact that to remind themselves of the beauty and the power of the cross. But they would also just 
sit down and feed their faces together. And that's cool because it's one of my favorite things to do is to eat. And one of the other favorite things to do is to hang out with people I love. And, and the Bible teaches us we should do that as those two things at the same time. What a great deal. But there's, they were devoted to community because they understood that, is, that the, the faith journey is not a solitary, isolated thing. It is impossible to experience everything that God has in store for us as followers of Christ in isolation and all by ourselves. I had a friend, my, my, my favorite, one of my roommates in college was uh, a Cajun guy from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right? And he would uh, kick into that Cajun accent every once in a while. And he had the corniest Cajun dad joke. You guys wanna hear it? You're gonna hear it whether you want to or not. But he would say, uh, he would get into his Cajun persona and he would say, I live in Louisiana, I, I live on the bayou. And do you know what the loneliest bayou in Louisiana is? And I'd say, no, what's the loneliest bayou in Louisiana? He'd say, the bayou self. <laughs> I put so much into that and I'm just basically the response, not what I had hoped. You cannot experience the fullness of what God has planned for you, according to the scriptures, in your faith journey, living on the bayou self. We change and we grow in community, and there's a ton of reasons for that. But what I've experienced over and over in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, is that when I do my faith journey with others, it, it encourages me when I'm weak, and, and these voices and these relationships help me to see when I get off track. I have people in my life that are able to say, what's wrong? What, where was your head at when you, <laughs> when you made that decision? Let's right the ship. I have accountability and connection and relationship with people who can help me when I'm weak and help me when I'm a little too full of myself. But that's not gonna happen if I'm disconnected or if I manage and control how, how close I let people get to me. Com to be devoted to community is a, is a pretty serious decision. And I encourage you, fo let's follow the example of the first century church. In fact, let's call it the first month church. I mean, literally the first four weeks of the thing called the church of Jesus Christ, these people were committed to community and they were also committed to prayer. They, they were committed to what the, this version says, the prayers. There were probably actual prayers that they got accustomed to reciting. They, I guarantee you they prayed the, the Lord's, what we call the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught multiple times during his ministry, our father who art in heaven. And they, they were devoted to prayers for themselves, to reciting the prayers that they learned, probably recited some awesome prayers from the Old Testament scriptures. But we see in the chapters ahead, which stay with us because some of the stories are amazing. They also learned to cry out to God for the needs that they were experiencing and the crises, crises that they were going through and for him to move powerfully or continue to move powerfully. So the prayers were, were, were devoted, committed faithfully to biblical teaching, community, and the prayers. Let's keep going. Let's look at the, the next thing where uh, they were experiencing was miraculous living. Miraculous, you can fill that in if you're taking notes. Miraculous living. The next verse gives us a, hint of some things that we're going to see in great detail in the chapters to come about some mind-blowing things that took place in the life of the uh, first month church. Verse 43 of this passage, Acts chapter 2, says, everyone was filled with awe and many miracles and signs took place through the emissaries, through 
the apostles. The, the people who observed, the people who were there, the, the believers, the 120 plus however many of those freshly, newly saved people who, who stayed in town and lived in Jerusalem, all these people were just amazed at what they saw and experienced every day. And that also includes people who were not yet believers. The city around them, the citizens, the people, the public were just like that group of people. You know, the ones that had that crazy thing happen to them on the day of Pentecost. Look at what's going on in their lives and in their little community. It says they were filled with awe and many miracles and signs took place through the apostles. Signs and wonders, some versions call it. Miraculous things were taking place. Miraculous stuff was daily occur were daily occurrences for this church. How many of you, and, and I ask this myself frequently, how many of you are in a situation right now where you or somebody you care about really needs a miracle to happen in their lives? You can raise your hand or not. I mean, but how many of us need some kind of miracle breakthrough or maybe somebody we love or someone we care about needs a miracle. If you're like me, I pray for miracles to happen. I pray for miracles to happen in my life and in the lives of people I love. And when I pray for miracles, I don't know if you can relate to this because I believe they happen. I've seen them happen. I know God does miracles. He did it back in the second chapter of the book of Acts and he does them today. I know he does. So I pray for them often. And when I pray, see if you can relate. I have a picture in my mind of the absolute best way for that miracle to take place. I got a plan, man. My right, Lord, I need this miracle. And here's how I'd like it to happen. <laughs> and when I would like it to happen. I don't know. I don't understand why miraculous things take place at some points in people's lives and not at others. And I say that, and I think you know from the experiences of my life in the last week, my family in the last week, and my family in the last nine months, you know that's not, I'm not, that's not, that's not flippantly said. I just don't get it. I don't understand. But I know that I want miraculous things to happen in my life. I want, I want God to do miracles in my life. Here's something I am learning, even though I don't understand why the miracles didn't come every time I asked for them. What I am learning is that there are miracles taking place in my life all the time. And sadly, a lot of the time, I don't even see them. I don't even recognize them. I don't even know they're taking place. I can just, I can just breeze through stuff and say, well, that's pretty cool how that worked out. How about that? How about that? Two weekends ago, I'm at my youngest son's wedding. And it is a marvelous experience. And I'm driving the day after the wedding. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, the night, driving home from the wedding with my dad in the back seat of the car. There was about four of us in the car. And we're just talking about how amazing it was that here we were after everything our family has been through. And I was telling you that story even before a few minutes ago. After everything our family been through, there we were in Lynchburg, Virginia. All of us in the same place, eating together, laughing together, dancing poorly together, <laughs> rejoicing together, praying over Bryce and his new bride together. And my dad's in the back seat and we're driving home because it's midnight. And I don't never stay up till midnight, man, because I am old and tired. 
all the time. And so I'm driving back to the hotel and my dad says, that, my dad said that was a miracle. And I was just thinking that was a cool night. Isn't it great how it worked out? My dad called it what it was, a miracle. A 12-year-in-the-making miracle. So I don't know what, what the scenarios look like in your life, but I challenge you, keep praying for miracles. And I'm talking maybe we'll see some shown-off, praise Jesus, Mind-blowing, instantaneous miracles, because that happens in the way God works with his people. It does happen sometimes. But I challenge you, pray for the miracles, but I also challenge you, look for the miracles and recognize them and give credit to our Heavenly Father for the miracles. Do you feel me? Are you good with that? That's miraculous living. That is, that is live Church of Jesus Christ, born again, miraculous living. Let's go to the next verse. The next two verses, verse 44 and 45. It says, there's another thing about how life looked in the first month of the church. All those trusting in Yeshua, which is Jesus, stayed together and had everything in common. In fact, they sold their property and possessions and distributed the proceeds to all who are in need. Now, this is pretty mind-blowing that these people almost instantly began functioning like this, like you see on the screen. I'm just going to say it right off the bat because it's the elephant in the room and it's what a lot of us are thinking. Sounds like to be a part of the first month church, you had to move into a commune. Is that, is that not what it sounds like? They stayed together. All right. That could mean that they, you know, created a tent village outside. Your, I don't know. They stayed together. They had everything in common and, and they sold all their stuff so that everybody could, you know, have financial means to take care of their situations. So, is this communal living? Is this communism? Is it socialism? I would love to answer those questions. I shall not because I cannot. But I, would, I will encourage you to consider a couple of things. I encourage you not to read this through a pol political lens. Let's not politicize these two verses. Because if you are of a political persuasion that you know, that, that, that where socialism or some forms of socialism might appeal to you, then you would tend to say, boom, in the Bible, let's do it. And let's let that inform the way we function politically as Christians wherever we live. If you are of a political persuasion that is opposed to socialism in any form on any point of that spectrum, then you would immediately need to start uh, unraveling this so that you could convince everybody that's not what that means. And I believe that we should do neither with these verses. I believe we should look at really the context of what was going on and how it played out in the New Testament church. The real thing that was taking place here and this is one of your fill in the blanks, is that these people were all about meeting needs. Meeting needs. They were a community that came together because of what Jesus had done, because of the story of Jesus. They were radically changed internally. They were experiencing a connection with God and each other like they had never experienced before. And one of the expressions of it was we want to spend as much time together as we can. And we want to make sure everybody is taken care of appropriately, including financially 
and in basic life needs. That's what was going on here. We see in just a matter of weeks on the, on the actual calendar timeline, we see the apostles, the leaders of this group, new group of Christians, accepting donations from this church. And they would bring their donations and then the apostles would distribute those, those funds and those resources according to whatever was the wise way to do so. And we see in, that, in those moments, Peter says to a guy in that moment, he said, you know, you don't have to be doing this. This is not a law. It's actually, things got really messy in this church before too long. Now, these verses that we're on today, it seems like Shangri-La. You know, this is like, woo, could it just be like that again? Well, you know what? People are people. Even people that have the gift of the Holy Spirit and have been gloriously saved and took the God plunge and got baptized. We're still people and we're messy people and we're imperfect people. And so were they. And it even says in the, in the weeks to come in our sermons, you'll, you'll hear some of these stories. It got ugly. And one time there was this married couple that wanted to bring, they wanted to get in on this. We're going to bring money to distribute to the poor in our midst. But they did it so that they would kind of gain status and get the favor and kind of, uh, they wanted to kind of show off, hey, we got a lot, we're rich, but now, you know, we're, we're awesome. So look how cool we are giving our stuff. And what they did is they lied about it and bad things happen, man. We'll talk about that. That's just a teaser. Hang with us in a few weeks, we'll get to that story. But in the context of that story where bad things happen, Peter says to the guy, this wasn't even a rule, man. You didn't even have to do this. This was your call. It was your call how much you wanted to give or if you wanted to give at all. And, but, but you came in here faking it and lying and trying to position yourself as awesome in our group. And they paid the price. It was, it was, it was really heavy. So the point is, is that not everybody was required to sell everything they have, live in a commune, and give all their money away. People did as God laid on their hearts, and that is how it played out through the entire New Testament era, the decades that are recorded in the New Testament scripture. That's how it played out, locally and extra-locally. There were Christians, that, uh, communities and churches that cropped up through the, through the travelings of the uh, Apostle Paul and others, and there were Christians all over the known world. And when they would hear about where a church in another country, a Christian gathering of believers in another country was going through famine or, or horrible economic times, they would take up collections and they would send money to them. It was, this is just the way it worked. It was my funds, I wanna use my funds to help others. That's how it worked. Now it's up to you how you vote and what you believe about the historical and political implications of communal living. That's cool. That's, man, we can, we can talk about that. But the point is that the New Testament church helped each other out when they needed help. That's the way the church in 2021 should be as well. And that's why we tithe. That's why we give. That's why we text to give. That's why we go to, you know, it's one of the reasons. It's one of the expressions of biblical obedience to giving portions of our resources to the local church that we're a part of. And that's a biblical thing and, it, and we believe in it. But that's one of the expressions of what we're reading here. So we get to be in on this kind of stuff and we help meet each other's needs. Let's keep going with the, uh, oh, and, and just for the record, uh, because of what we learn in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, these are some notes I, I forgot to mention. It is a personal decision how much money, if any, you ever give to a church. 
We think there are biblical instructions and guidelines, but it is your call. And if you're ever in a place where somebody is twisting your arm to give under the auspices of some Bible command, just be careful. You're going to hear biblical teaching about giving at our church, but we're not waiting at the door twisting your arm on it. It is a personal decision. It's about compassionate meeting of needs and serving others. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul himself says, I'm just going to put this out there, those who can work, those who can find employment should work. Those who can work should work. That's in the Bible, okay? So, boom, just wanted you guys to know that. Those who can should and above it all, we should be people who as compassionately and wisely as possible meet needs that we become aware of. Got it? Cool? Groovy. Let's keep going. Verse 46. It says, They continued faithfully with singleness of purpose to meet in the temple courts daily. That's their expression of actual going to church. They met in the temple courts daily and breaking bread in their several homes. They shared their food in joy and simplicity of heart. That's such a beautiful phrase. They shared their food. They, they met together. They went. They did church stuff together as often as they could. And they gathered together for meals and hanging out. Pretty good life. I want a little bit of that in my life, you know? It's called engagement. That's the word. That's the fill in the blank that if you're, if you're taking your notes. Engagement. Engagement, a way to be involved and to do life together as much as is possible. All right, so a couple of practical thoughts about engagement as it would play out in our lives in the way life kind of works for us. First, if you're jotting things down, this is not on the screen, but I just write down the word schedule because this obviously has to do with schedule. So engagement with your community of faith does have to do with schedule, all right? The, the, the what and the where, but it also has to do with content. That would be the next word I'd encourage you to write down. Again, not on the screen. Um, Schedule, content. Because for most of us, the word schedule, the first one I asked you to write down, when you, what happens to your stress level when you say the word schedule? <laughs> Some of us is like, you know, because we're just thinking about how overtaxed our schedules already are. Especially if you have children who play sports. So that's just life, you know what I'm saying? It's just, but here's the thing. The, the first month believers did everything they could to remain faithful to gathering together in, in, a, in a spiritual worship kind of context. They just did the best they could. And some of them were able to do it daily. Probably, it almost sounds like most of them were able to do it daily. Man, how's that even work? I don't know but they were committed to doing that because they knew how valuable that was. So they would gather together in their schedule. So for those of us who have, let's say you're a person like most of us, they have a somewhat, you know, it's a finite number of minutes that are available in our schedule. That's why I use the word content. See, here's the deal. Content is what you do with your time and what you discuss and what you just talk about and what you observe or watch or spend time doing? What's the content? So in being strategic, just as we were earlier talking about the scriptures in our day-to-day -day lives, what is, what, is, what is a way where you could kind of take control of what content is going into your schedule? And if you have limited amount of time to gather in, in worship context or, or, or whatever, what, well, I would first encourage you take the, the risky step of trying 
to make that even more valuable, that, that limited time that you have, so that the content and the stuff that goes on, the conversations, the listening, the, the talking, whatever, that that points you to your faith, that that, is a, that, that can be a lifeline or a, a pipeline, if you will, uh, feeding content, spiritual, biblical content into your life and into your relationships and with your family and the time you spend with your kids. Manage the content. Take over the content. Utilize the moments, the minutes, limited as they may be. There are barriers to engagement. I will just want to write these down if you're taking notes. Barriers to engagement. In my life that I've experienced in church engagement, which I'm committed to, but I've had, I've taken some lumps over the years. And, you know, the phrase that I hear around now is called church hurt. Now, and that's a real thing where you go through an experience or a series of experiences in a, a church or spiritual context and you get hurt and you get wounded. You get um, feelings hurt or maybe some serious stuff went down. Church hurt is a real thing. And I've been through a lot of that in my life. And I've unfortunately been on both sides of that. And I just know it happens. So here's some thoughts. There are barriers to engage, engagement. Um, distraction is one. You know, we can get distracted by maybe an overtaxed schedule that doesn't allow us to engage. Or maybe we get distracted by things even in the context of our church relationships that truly aren't important. We'd make them too important. And it leads to problems, distraction. Discouragement is a barrier to engagement, discouragement. And when you're discouraged, I mean, the proverb says that uh, hope deferred makes the, makes the heart sick. And so hope deferred, when you are disappointed, when we are disappointed, we get heart sick. And that can lead to discouragement. And discouragement is a big, big deal. And the stuff, and I say these, and I talk about engagement. I'm just saying that there are ways to deal with well those three things. And we have to choose to deal well with them. And it's not to say that the stuff we went through wasn't valid. Wrong. It's not making an excuse. It's not minimizing it. It's just to say that God's purpose and plan for the church is for us to connect and stay connected. And going through pain and trauma and discouragement at the hands of or in the context of church is enough to shipwreck our faith sometimes. And I encourage you, if you've been there or maybe if you are there, give God a chance to heal your heart and then see what, please don't write it off. Don't write the church off based on the pain and trauma that you may have been through or maybe you're going through right now. I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't. And I hope that can be your story too. So engagement is a an important thing. Now, as I ask the uh, praise band to come back up and uh, take your places, the last thing uh, we'll look at is verse 47. Another, another description of their life. They praised God and they had the respect of all people. And day after day, the Lord kept adding to them those who were being saved, which is cool because you remember we started by saying not everybody on that big day where 3,000 people said, yeah, I want to I wanna follow Christ. Not everybody did, but it shows that progressively and over time, more and more did. So you know there were some people that heard the first sermon and said, not, not for me. But over time, as they watched these people do what they do, God drew more and more hearts to them. That's really cool. And that's encouraging for us that we can have an impact as imperfect as we are. We can have an impact. That's actually the word. The last fill in the blank is impact. We can have impact on our community and around all the people around us. We can have respect of those, even those who don't choose to follow our path. We can have respect in their eyes because they'll know we're being genuine and they'll, they'll see us mess up. They'll watch how we respond when we mess up. 
but that will gain, will, will gain the respect of the community around us, oftentimes. And then, of course, the best thing that can happen through the church, and as a result, and you can take, I'm, I'm done, boss. Thank you. I'm going to grab that. Thanks for your help, brother. The best thing is that more people who are outside of faith in Christ could find their way to faith in Christ. More people could decide to bow the knee, decide like Peter said on that very first day, to turn from their sin, to return to God, to believe, to receive the Holy Spirit, get baptized and start their journey, walk in straight out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That can happen. This can be us. We can have that kind of life. You know, ultimately, we're just not, we're not just here for ourselves, right? We're not here just so that we could have cool music and listen to a nominally interesting sermon and then go get Popeyes because they're open now. Somebody say amen. It's, we're here so that others can come, so that others can come and investigate the claims of Jesus Christ, so that others can come and have a shot to make their decision about faith. You know, I, I, I tell the story of uh, an, a baseball player named Ricky Henderson. Anybody ever remember Ricky Henderson? This guy was phenomenal baseball player. He was fast, he could hit home runs. He was, but he wasn't known as, he was a very odd person, right? And so an interview with Ricky Henderson was always fun to watch because you're like, he referred to himself in third person. He said, yeah, Ricky's really happy with how Ricky played today. And I'm like, who are you? You know, so he's not, he's, you know, people kind of would write him off a lot unfairly. But uh, one time he was playing for the Yankees because he played for about 20 different teams, I think, you know. But he was playing for the Yankees and they weren't very good at the time, which made me super happy because I, another story. Anyway, so an interviewer comes to him and says, Ricky, why is this team underperforming? Why is this team not very good? They're talented. They got you on the team. Why is this not working? And he says, Ricky will tell you why this isn't working. He says, you see all these players in this locker room? Yeah. All of them think the whole point was to get here. The whole point was not to get here. The point is to get here and win a World Series. And see, the sad thing about that can happen to a church goer and sometimes to a to a local church body, it can happen sometimes where we just think the whole point is just to be here. Because it's hard, right? Sometimes just to get here is an accomplishment, right? You know, it's like, woo, <laughs> at least I'm here. Hey, you know, just to be sitting in front and just log on and watch this service, that's an accomplishment, bravo, amen, thank you. But you know what, that's not the end. The point is not for us just to be here. The point is for us to gather, to devote ourselves to the word and community and prayer, to live in miraculous reality, to see the reality of the miraculous, to meet needs compassionately, to engage, to make an impact. The point is for what happens in here to make a difference everywhere we go. Do you feel me? Do you agree that that's the point? That that's why we exist? Is to help people find their way back to God and grow on that journey. Stand with me, if you will. Let's pray. And let's ask God to make that happen in our lives and through our church. That sound like, a, that sound like something you could believe in? Does it sound like something you want to be involved in? This is our invitation. We are being invited 
to be a part of this kind of place, this kind of company of people, this group of friends, this band of brothers and sisters that exist for each other and for all others. Amen. Lord, help us. We need your help. We pray that our engagement in this church family, and whatever church family we're called to be a part of, we pray that that engagement will create dynamic experiences with your word and your teaching. It will create change and growth in our lives. We pray ultimately, Lord, that it would make a difference in the lives of others. Lord, we need you, and Lord, we need each other. Make us do something new in our hearts. Break new ground in our hearts that would allow us to engage with you and your word and with each other in faith even more. Show us the way and give us the strength in Jesus' name. Amen.